You're listening to the League Bound Podcast. Your source for weekly coverage on the future stars of the NBA. I'm your co-host, Jake Schrantz. And I'm your co-host, Brandon Blue. With production for the podcast coming from Broderick Wilkin. With the first pick in the NBA draft. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the League Bound Podcast, where we break down the best draft prospects and some of the rising stars of the NBA. Today, we are on Season 2, Episode 4, and I think today is going to be another good episode. I'm your co-host, Brandon, and I'm here with Jake and Brody. How are you guys feeling today? Brandon, don't underestimate League Bound like that. It's not going to be a good episode. It is going to be a great episode. I'm super excited for this one, our second prospect breakdown of this season. And we'll got, we got Scoot Henderson coming up for you guys. But Brody, we've been growing so much and it's so encouraging. Yeah, 100%. And to anyone who is tuning in uh, that are our new audience, uh, welcome in to the podcast. We're excited to have you here. Hopefully you enjoyed enough to become a regular. We would love that. We appreciate everyone who listens to this. Uh, let's get started with a little bit of negativity, Brandon. How about that? Negativity. 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 I don't know. This is my favorite part of the show. Um, we didn't have any last week, but we've got some today. And we're starting off with Jose Alvarado of the New Orleans Pelicans, who stole the ball at the end of the Rockets um, Pelicans game last night. And uh, some of the players weren't really feeling it. So, Kevin Porter Jr. kind of checked him and was like, whoa, what are you doing? And then there was a little altercation. Both got ejected at the end of the game. I love to see that type of energy, especially towards the end of the game, because it really gets you excited for that next matchup. Yeah, Grand Theft Alvarado is always causing <laughs> chaos on the court. But, I mean, the announcers were talking about it. New Orleans loves him. He brings a ton of energy to that roster. And, you know, it's not every day you get a player coming into the league that can get under the skin of other players like we've seen Draymond Green do it a lot but Jose he really has that trait locked down he's like me for real (laughs) but anyways the weekly takes I want to talk about Friday because we got to see somebody play who there has been a lot of animosity and a lot of um, differing viewpoints about this guy but Amani Bates had a 30-point performance against Michigan. And I know me and Brody saw some of it. Bro was wildin'. It was it was a electric performance. And they were they were playing at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, which is where the Pistons play. And it looked like a packed house. So uh I think that what Amani did in front of that crowd and against a, a power five team who's ranked as well. I think he really showed some of his skill set. But, Jake, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I'm sure he saw those NBA lights in the Detroit Pistons arena and just thought, this is where I thought I should have been coming into this NBA regular season. Obviously, Bates not a one-and-done last year. But, I I mean, if he continues to drop 30 like this for Eastern Michigan, we may see him putting up buckets in that arena on a regular basis in the NBA. Let's talk about the way my man was playing. He was just – I mean, it was like every other drive he was just – clapping to his players, gimme ball, grabs it, you know, a couple dribbles, step back three, and he would just drain them all. It was, yeah, he was going crazy. And he was hitting, he really showed last year why he was one of the top recruits and why him going to Memphis was considered such a big deal at the time. I mean, he was hitting shots off handoffs, shots off the dribble, 
deep step back threes, and there's some heat checks where you're like, Amani, what are you doing, bro? And then he just swishes it like it was nothing. So I think he really showed why, you know, he was such a high talent, and I think it's possible he can raise his stock throughout the season. And how do you guys see him right now? Do you guys see him as a guy who, you know, is, is that enough for you guys, or do you guys need to see a little bit more throughout this season to be really convinced of the Amani Bates uh, comeback story, I would call it? Well, I think that obviously it is very early into the season. Like At this point, I think it was maybe his second game of the year. But, I mean, if this is kind of a consistent performance that we see the rest of the year, obviously he's not going to average 30. Although you never know. Eastern Michigan, I know the Mac is good, but Imani Bates is a very highly talented player. And I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of resembles what we saw of Isaiah Mosley last year at Missouri State and just becomes one of these guys in the non-Power 5 schools that could put up 30 points or put up 40 points in a big win. Yeah, but I do want to point out another thing because after that performance, I was really excited to see, you know, what other teams he's going to play against. And I was looking at Eastern Michigan's schedule, and unfortunately, they're not playing any other Power 5 schools for the rest of the season. So I'm like, man, it kind of sucks. But at the same time, I still think Eastern Michigan is going to be a fun team to watch just because it's not only Imani, but they have... Noah Farrakhan, who in high school, he was a highly touted recruit as well. Um, he was pretty viral uh, all over Instagram, or not all over Instagram, all over YouTube. Well, I guess Instagram too, social media. And he was a player who would every game just get a nasty poster. And I think that we saw how dangerous this duo is just because nobody could stay in front of Noah last night. And I think that come March, this might be a team that we could see upset. Up and in March, like you said, we've seen a lot of uh, these group of five schools have some success against bigger, you know, power five schools. And if Imani Bates is dominating like this, it's pretty clear why Eastern Michigan is one of the favorites for the MAC. Yeah, I think, too, that depending on how well Imani does, well, not just Imani, but Eastern Michigan, and he really takes up that leadership role. I feel like this can really help him improve his draft stock. I think right now, just off the talent alone I saw in that Michigan game, I think it's possible he can still be a first-rounder. But if depending how the season goes, I don't think he can get back to where he was, maybe like top five-ish. But I think he can get to the lottery, and I think that'd be pretty big for him. And I don't know how much you guys want to go into it, but I know you were, unless you had something, uh, we're talking a little bit about maybe some ego concerns once he actually makes it to the NBA. Yeah, I mean... Just so far in his career, he's really been that number one option like on every single team that he's been on. And I mean, I'm just thinking about rosters right now. Like if he did go as a one and done last year, well, obviously he wasn't eligible for the draft last year, I believe. So he couldn't have done that. But let's say he goes this year. I still don't think he would be like that number one option on any NBA team right now. Like we think Victor Wembanyama could be in this draft, which is kind of crazy to think about because... A couple of years ago when Victor was on the rise, it was kind of Bates and Wembenyama kind of neck and neck for that number one pick. And now Imani has taken a nosedive in terms of draft stock since then. Another thing, like Jake said, I do think his attitude will be something to watch and kind of his mindset. Um, just because I think it's I think it's reasonable to look at that considering uh, the things that have happened in the past. I don't want to bring them up and kind of tarnish his name, but I think another thing from a basketball standpoint, too, that we really want to see is just how he develops as a player from last year. Because, you know, he whether you think he was in a situation that doesn't work or whether you don't agree with, you know, how he was playing, 
I feel like it kind of doesn't matter if he doesn't show any development. And I think I talked about in my video a while back, one of the things that I wanted to see was his development as a playmaker and as a defender. And from a defending standpoint, I really liked what we saw in that Michigan game because there were some plays where he really sat down, guarded, and changed some shots. And uh, I still didn't see that playmaking that I was really hoping to see, but there's still time throughout the season. And honestly, I'm not putting that pressure on him. It's just something that I think would really help expand his game. And another player I want to talk about in the NBA who is absolutely cooking. You guys know me. I can't get enough of Ben Matherin. Why is this guy doing so well? I mean, just this week against Denver, he had 30 points. And yesterday against Toronto, he had another solid 15-point performance. And right now on the season, he's averaging 19.9 points per game, which is... Sheesh. I... Of all the people, I was high on Ben Matherin, but I was not expecting him to do anywhere near as well as he's doing right now. And we've talked about him a bit in the past, but I want to talk to you, Jake, about why you think he's doing so much better than arguably most of these other prospects, except for maybe Paulo. Yeah, it really is him and Paulo Bencaro leading that rookie of the year case. But when you look at his game, he looks more than anything, he just looks confident in every shot that he takes. And that really goes a long way. I mean, you look at Jordan Poole a couple of years ago, he has always had that confidence. And even when his game wasn't showing in the stat sheet, like he's getting dropped down to the G League Warriors, getting moved on to the main roster Warriors. But the one thing that never faded was his confidence. And that has carried him until where he is right now, big time contributor to the Warriors roster. And that confidence in your game is a huge factor in that. And I think that Ben Matherin has that. And it's really carried over into the first 10 games of the season, he's averaging almost 20 points a game as a rookie. It's just crazy. Yeah, Ben Matherin, he's a guy who, he's really, that 3 and D role, when you get into the NBA, we've seen for other players how it really helped him. And I think this year, he's the player in the draft who's benefited from that. Like, he's your ideal, archetypical NBA role player. And I remember we were saying that last year. And he's shown since he's gotten the league that he has the athleticism and the skill set to be even more than that and I think that's why he's doing so well um like he he's shown that he's a, a great shooter and that he can take people off the dribble uh he's got an NBA ready body too which I think is something else that is really really underrated about his game um it's just having that physicality already has helped his game translate so well yeah and we were talking before we went on air here that we really think Ben Matherin has that potential to be not necessarily an MVP winner, but an MVP caliber player just because of the way his offensive output looks on the court. He can score inside and out. He is super aggressive with his shot taking. That's a really important factor because in today's NBA, if you're going to win MVP, you got to put up some points. And I think Ben Matherin has the confidence and really just the aggression and volume shooting to put those points up on a nightly basis, especially once he establishes himself as the number one option in Indiana. Obviously, too, another thing that I think will be important is just how he develops and what else he adds to his game. I know Jake pointed out uh, he was looking at his shot chart, and he's kind of got the stereotypical NBA player um, shot chart where he just only shoots threes or he's in the paint getting layups and dunks. And I feel like He's a player who, if he adds a little bit of a mid-range game, whether it's shooting floaters or just creating from that area, I think that adding that will... I, I'm going to go all the way and say that that will really make him an MVP-type player. <laughs> Some high praise, but uh, he's really doing it for the Pacers right now, and uh, especially 
if you're a Pacers fan, you got to be pretty excited about his future. Well, I also know a couple Pacers fans who in the offseason were pretty depressed after they traded Malcolm Brogdon. And now you're looking at this backcourt of Tyrese Halliburton and Ben Matherin, and you're thinking as a Pacers fan, like, wow, we we have a big-time future ahead of us, especially, and back to your MVP uh, take, playing with Tyrese Halliburton is super efficient and effective because he finds Ben Matherin wide open and gets him in spaces that a lot of other point guards can't. So that could contribute as well to the MVP case with him getting open shots. And Tyrese, he's just a player who's going to have like 10 assists a game. So he's someone who's going to prioritize the people around him and not himself. And I think that once Ben, I don't think Ben's really even starting right now, but say like next year or even later this year when he really is and he's shooting more shots and he's more familiar with his game and what works. I think that that duo is going to be scary. And I think Ben is going to be scary. So and now I want to talk about Jaden Ivey for our welcome to the league segment. Cause he's a player who I know we've been talking about Ben Paulo, but he's a player who's also been having a solid outing, but we just haven't really talked about him much. He's averaged over 18 points his last three games. And yesterday when Cade Cunningham was out, he kind of took the lead and had 26 points in a, tough loss without the presence of Cade but uh, I think he showed some of his upside this week and he's a player going forward who I still think we need to watch closely yeah he's split time a little bit at the one and the two but I really think that Jaden Ivey has that big time future in Detroit as you know the shooting guard going forward in a dynamic backcourt for the Pistons but all season he's been averaging over 15 points a game thus far which is really good for a rookie especially uh, a guard who's adjusting to the league's speed and kind of role as a ball handler, um, especially in the Eastern Conference where there's so many good guard matchups. But, you know, this last three-game stretch has really showed why Jaden Ivey was considered for that number four pick before getting replaced by Keegan Murray on draft night. On draft night. And, uh, man, it's just scary to see all these Eastern Conference teams with young guards who can carry the league going forward. And you look at some of the players like Jaden who – have been in this draft, when they start to get to that midseason peak or that midseason hump, that's when they really start to hit their stride, and that's when it really starts to get scary. Like, I look at guys like Jalen Green last year, even a little bit of Cade Cunningham, who's his teammate. Like, when they got to the latter half of that season, that's when they really started to do damage in the league and become a force. And this Pistons team, I know we were talking about them at the beginning of the year, as being a team that could potentially make the play in And I'm still hoping that they reach that point. And I feel like it all really just relies on how him and Cade start to kind of mesh together. I'd also uh, like to quickly bring up the fact that the Pistons kind of aren't doing too well right now. And with an already uh, super young team, uh, to even have the chance to get a top five pick in this class as well, uh, that roster has probably an insane future ahead mm-hmm. wouldn't you think yeah i think wait let me pull up tank bomb real quick. They're, they're at four yeah they're at four right now but uh i mean obviously with lottery they can get anywhere from like they can seven drop to, to eight number one so yeah i think victor on the, victor pistons. the pistons I, victor too yeah that would be scary but if they also i think i know we haven't seen a lot of them because they've been hurt But there are also a lot of good complementary pieces that I think could also make their roster kind of dangerous. Now, there's some guards in here, but if they got, like, Dariq Whitehead, who I think is going to be nasty, 
Dylan Mitchell, who's a defensive guy, and Cam Whitmore, who we haven't seen at all, but I'm really excited to see how he does at Villanova. I would honestly like to see Derek Lively play alongside Beef Stew Ooh, in Detroit yeah. because he can space the floor really well and play defense. So that front court with Beef Stew and, and Derek Lively with just the shot blocking ability and just the physicality that Beef Stew brings, plus offensively that fit is great. That would be really fun to watch. And I think even if they fall to maybe five or six in the lottery, they could definitely get a guy like Derek Lively at this point. If they had Derek Lively... Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart. Oh my! That God. would be like a really good front court because you could maybe potentially have maybe lively at the four because he's shown that he could be a guy who spaces the floor out a bit. And I didn't even think about that. I completely was just I forgot that Jalen Duran was even on that team. You could have Duran and Isaiah Stewart both playing minutes where you have a physical strong guy up front like that for a full 48 minutes because one of them will come off the bench. That is very scary. And now this was the first week of college basketball, and we got to see a lot of great players debut, specifically Keontae George and Terquavion Smith, as well as Imani Bates, as we talked about earlier. But Keontae was one of the players that I talked about as having one of the crazy debuts, and his first game wasn't as crazy, but his second game that he played on Friday... That was a pretty impressive performance. He had 23 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds. Now, I just want to say, I knew he was going to be one of the better scorers in this draft, but I was not familiar with his game from a playmaking standpoint, so I'd like to apologize. But he, he was really, like, his vision is something that I think is really going to make him even more scarier. And as the as the NCAA season goes on, I'm really excited to see him play, and I just get excited about him with each game. Yeah, and it's kind of a strange dynamic that this draft class has because guys like Keontae George and other guards almost get seen as like a second-tier talent compared to how hyped up Scoot Henderson is out of the G League Ignite. But like you said, Keontae George has so much talent offensively. He can facilitate the ball. He finds guys open. Seven assists was really impressive from him in college. And uh, I just want to make sure everyone watching, make sure you tune into some of these other guards and don't just think it's Scoot Henderson and everyone else. And then next for NC State, we have Terquavion Smith, who if you watched some of the draft combine last year or any of NCAA basketball last year, you knew that he was going to be a guy who we were going to be watching closely coming into the season. And through his first few games, he's shown that he's probably going to raise his stock. He's averaging 22 points through two regular season games. And I, from what I've seen, his explosiveness combined with his shot-making ability is truly just something that you don't see a lot. Yeah, I looked at the stats before we went on. Almost 60% of Terquavion's shots come from beyond the arc, which is really just crazy because you look at Steph Curry when he was drafted, his three-point attempt rate was only 49%. So, I mean, is that a little too high for Terquavion Smith? He's not the shooter that Steph Curry is, but he sure likes to shoot it like he is. So you may want to see it drop down a little bit more and see maybe a little bit more drive to the basket because he can really rise up too. He can dunk the ball with some of the best of them in uh, college basketball in terms of guards. But Terquavion is someone I like to cover on day one of the combine last year. He really impressed me. And I was a little surprised he didn't keep his name in the draft because he was one of the better players in those scrimmages. But he came back to NC State this year and it's seeming to uh, be pretty effective because he is rising up the board quickly. 
Jake, I kind of want to ask you, you talked about you covered him in your uh, day one combine video, but where do you see him finishing in this draft towards the end of the season? That's a good question because there's a lot of freshman guards like Keontae George and other guys like Kaysen Wallace who have gotten a little bit of the spotlight just because they are those high-tiered freshmen. But I feel like if Terquavion comes out, has a huge season, he's only a sophomore. He was a freshman last year, so he's still a young player. But, I mean, if he's very effective, if he hits from deep, there's no reason why he should be considered any less than a guy maybe one year younger than him that doesn't produce as well. I have to say it is unfortunate that we're not seeing him play like on another you know, top 25 team, and most of the games he plays probably are going to be losses. But if you can, he's a player I would definitely encourage to watch as much as you can because he has the potential to probably be one of the best players in the ACC, and I really think his draft stock is going to be an interesting thing to watch. So keep an eye on him. Yeah, and his game is really fun to watch too. If you like deep threes, he's got that. If you like posters, he's got that. He's really fast in the lane as a point guard. Super fun player to watch. Now it is time for the prospect breakdown. Scoot Henderson, it is your time. He, the 18-year-old guard from the G League Ignite, hails from Marietta, Georgia. Six foot two, 195 pounds, and right now he is considered by many to be the consensus number two, right behind Victor Wimbenyama. So, Jake, what are your thoughts on this young man? Well. If I had to make a quick comparison to some former NBA talent, or really just current day NBA talent, kind of think of a mix between Colin Sexton and Russell Westbrook. Not as much current day Russell Westbrook, where he's seen as kind of a, a negative on the roster a lot of the times. Think back to when Russell Westbrook was seen as that MVP caliber player. Triple double thunder. Yeah. Like, I mean, we saw it yesterday 16 assists from Scoot Henderson against the Santa Cruz Warriors. Just insane stuff from him. He's not a big time shooter so far in his career. He's. It's kind of similar to Colin Sexton early on in his career in that category. But we saw with guards that aren't sharpshooters like Colin Sexton really develop that outside game. Sexton now around almost 40% from deep sometimes. So no reason that people should be turned off from Scoot Henderson's jumper at all. Yeah. One thing I will say, I've noticed he was shooting a lot of mid-range shots in yesterday's game. And I think a lot of that too was partly because the defense – they were taking away the drive from him because obviously that's like his getting to the rim is like his most dangerous strength. And so he was, they were in drop coverage on him. So they were just encouraging him. They were encouraging him to shoot. And I feel like when he gets to the league, the way he releases the ball, he kind of has a pretty re low release. So I feel like when he gets to the league, he's not going to be able to get those shots off, you know, as, as easily as he does. And I think it would be more dangerous if he kind of converted those mid-range shots and the floaters like, mm -hmm. say, Darius Garland or Trey Young. Trey Young, D'Lo, when he was getting into the league, that kind of became his bread and butter with the Brooklyn Nets. So I think if he develops that floater game and kind of stops taking the mid-range, stops taking the mid-range shots that he's being baited into, I think that will help him a lot as well. Yeah, and that would be really fun to watch him develop that because he's such a strong-bodied guard. He almost looks like Oshai Abaji out there sometimes. He's got huge arms. But if he can get into the lane and have that soft touch on a floater, that would really confuse some of the bigs like Rudy Gobert who have to step up and try to contest it because at that point, that introduces some possibilities for like a hesitation move around the free throw line and if you do like a little pump fake on that and they reach on that, he is flying right to the rim and throwing it down on really anyone in front of him he's got a crazy bounce i've 
I bring this up too, not because like this is something that I've seen other players do. It's because I saw him do it a little bit in that matchup against uh, Metropolitan's 92 because he was getting to the rim a lot easier in that game and he hit a few floaters. And I've also just noticed that he has a natural finesse and touch around the rim, which you really wouldn't expect from somebody like him because uh, going back to your Russell Westbrook c comparison, you kind of just expect him to throw himself at the rim and kind of hope it goes in. But you can tell he has a control footwork, too, which I think is something really nice. And that was honestly something when we were watching the game yesterday. I was kind of a little bit upset that he wasn't really. I know the announcer said that he was struggling, but I don't think he was struggling in that first half. It just felt like he wasn't really being aggressive because all those shots he took yesterday were mid-range pull-ups or threes. And he wasn't really trying to carve his way to the rim. And you could really just see his impact on the court because in that fourth quarter, once he started to get some shots going, I think he hit uh, a three-pointer and then that started a little bit of a run for him. And maybe his biggest play of the game, there was a steal with maybe I think four or five minutes left in the game and he just threw it down in transition. Crazy, crazy hops on that one. But really the story of last night's game to me is the 16 assists in a comeback victory. They were down huge going into halftime. We, we were talking... Uh, earlier today about like almost turning the game off and saying ah we'll just watch it later but the way they made that comeback yesterday was really impressive and it proved three things to me about Scoot he's a mature player he can't you can't shake him off his game and he can actually be a winning player you look at Ignite up to the season until last night they were 0-3 in the regular season but Victor kind of proved or not Victor sorry Scoot really proved that that isn't really his fault it's just that a lot of these G League teams have NBA talent and it's it's hard to go against them but he got all of his teammates involved including Mojave King who keep your eyes on him low-key because he can shoot the thing really well he had seven threes last night I believe but with those 16 assists even when his shot wasn't going down he was still impacting the game in a positive way and wasn't just letting a bad shooting night kind of turn him off defensively or on you know sharing the ball yeah I think also what that 16 assist shows is the Santa Cruz Warriors, that whole night, they had clearly game planned around Scoot because as I talked about for, as I talked about before, they were not letting him get easy paint touches. And so like when he would come off pick and rolls, not only would the big man be in drop coverage, but all of the man like all everybody who was on the floor, they would just load to him. And so that just gave everyone who was on the floor with him open shots and he would swing it to that corner to Mojave King. Or he would swing it to City Sissoko, who also had a really good performance and is projected to be a first-rounder. And I think that 16 assists shows that when he gets to the league and when people start to game plan around him, he's going to be a dangerous player because he can just... If he has good teammates around him, he can just carve up defenses without even having to really score the ball. Sorry, I'm just trying to pull up the box score of last night. And uh, what do you think uh, the value of having a guy selfless enough to give away 16 assists like that is for a team uh coming into a draft looking for maybe maybe they just have a had a rough season and they're just trying to you know uh get back into the groove of things i think that one it just shows how good of a leader he can be like jake talked about um and i think going into the league not a lot of young players really have that ability to be a good leader and provide some of the in intangibles the things that you can't measure and his performance, the way that he just set the tone for the whole group in that third quarter, um, I think that's something that scouts will also mark up. And 
like we've said, I think that's something playing in the G League, uh, playing with the G League Ignite is something that that really helps with. Yeah, and he was really selfless last night. He found guys like Aubrey Dawkins, Mojave King. These are really good shooters for G League level, but just imagine when when Scoot is in there running an offense on a top, well, I guess you can't be a top-tier NBA team drafting at number two. But either way, I mean, you look at some of these teams at the top, like the Houston Rockets with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter. Those are pretty good shooters on the perimeter. Just imagine Scoot Henderson, you know, driving down the lane and everyone just collapses on him and he just kicks it out to the corner to maybe Jalen Green, who's wide open. You know, he's you know he's knocking that down. Another thing I want to point out, too, is... Hold on. Another thing I want to point out, too, is that yesterday I noticed with the Ignite that he's really the only guy who initiates offense or brings the ball up the floor whenever he's on the court. And I think when you just look at the makeup of the league, most teams now, they have multiple people who can do that. And there was one play I saw... Um, he was he was playing off ball and somebody passed it to him and he just took them off the bounce. And I think that having somebody else who can kind of initiate offense will also create more for Scoot because like we talked about, his speed is just something that you can't guard. It's going to be incredibly hard to keep him in front of you. And so I think when he gets past that first man and kind of gets to the secondary defense, there's not really much you can do. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up about him really being the only offensive facilitator for them at this point. It's kind of hard to gauge what his, you know, output would be as someone off the catch and shoot because he really doesn't get those opportunities very often because, you know, halfway through possession or low in the shot clock, he's that guy they just dump the ball over to and say, just bail us out, try to find a shot open. So that is really the only concern for me. It's just that we don't know or have a big enough sample size to know what his off ball game could look like in terms of catch and shoot. I know I bashed some of his mid range game earlier, but uh, another thing that I had written in my notes was he looks a lot more comfortable shooting that three ball than he does the mid range. So say, you know, he's, there was like two catch and shoots he had that looked really good. Like his form looked good. And I think they were both swishes. And so just going off of yesterday's game and some of the other games, if he becomes a player who's more focused on three point shots than he is mid range games, I'm not saying he's going to be somebody who's going to shoot like 40% cause I'm not sure that's really his game. But if he can be at least a consistent 35, 36% shooter, you know, that's still a really respectable shot. And even guys like John Morant so far in their career aren't those 40%, like eight threes per game attempted kind of guys. And they're still obviously MVP mm -hmm. caliber players. And that's really the only difference I draw from Colin Sexton, that comparison that I said, because Sexton is really good at getting to that mid-range spot and putting it in, whereas Scoot, it really is not a strength of his yet. Yeah. I'm excited to see how Scoot develops. He's one of my favorite players in this class. And I'm going forward with these games. I feel like there's something new that you can take away with him because this playmaking, I knew it was good in some of his other performances, but he really showed how, like what he sees on the court and how he can just pick apart defenses like it's nothing. And so I'm excited to see what more we learn from Scoot in the games going forward. Yeah, and... Uh I guess I want to almost I, I guess I want to shift the conversation a little bit here, but uh, talking about Scoot and Victor, uh, I know there's there's been a couple Scoot and Victor debates over the Internet over like maybe who's going to be more worthwhile of a pick. But I kind of want to hear it from you guys. Do you guys think the gaps as large as it is? Uh, between Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson because I know we were talking about it uh, earlier today and I kind of want to hear you guys 
Uh, put some input on that. I think the gap right now is pretty large just because Victor, he's a two-way player, and what he does offensively, it's something that we just haven't seen before. But I don't want to say... I don't want to say that the gap is just, like, not overcomable, but, like, Scoot would have to do some crazy things to really overcome Victor, in my eyes. And I think it can't be overstated the value of what a head-to-head matchup means to these players because you look back at some of the recent history, that game last year with Paulo and Chet Holmgren, Gonzaga versus Duke, Paulo was insane in that game, and, and now you look at the NBA, obviously... Chet Holmgren is injured for the season, so he doesn't really get to represent himself. himself. But Paulo is out here putting up all-star numbers, and Chet is nowhere to be found right now. You look maybe a couple years ago, it was that Duke class versus highly ranked Kentucky with Zion and RJ and Cam Reddish in that head-to-head matchup. Duke destroyed them, and now look at what this with the Duke class is doing. Zion is out here averaging huge numbers. RJ Barrett is one of the best scorers for New York. So really these head-to-head matchups can mean a lot in terms of what these players are going to do going forward. You look at the head-to-head with Scoot and Victor, and even though Scoot was doing good, Victor was out here putting up 30 points, huge defensive numbers as well. So I do think that has to come into play a little bit. And not 30, but 37 points, mind you, uh, compared to Scoot's 28. Uh, I don't know what the assist numbers were. But But I feel like, too, watching that matchup, it didn't really feel like, one or the other necessarily got outplayed. Like, to be fair, Scoot, I remember watching that game, and I remember I got into some Twitter spaces after that game with some fans, and, like, everybody was both kind of like, yeah, both of these guys are going to be tough when they get into the league, and they bring some extreme value to whoever they come to. So I don't want to make it seem like they both got overplayed, or one one of them got overplayed. I feel like it was a pretty even mashup, especially since Victor, his... His, he he kind of struggled in that first half a little bit. But then when he got into that second half, he got hot. And I think I think what both of them did... I think that what both of them did is... Hold on. Sorry. You're good. I just can't find the words. I think that what both of them did in that matchup really speaks to both of them as players. And I want to get your opinion on this, Brandon. I just thought of this... Uh, comparison a little bit ago, but how would you compare Scoot Henderson to John Wall as draft prospects? Because obviously John Wall, if people don't remember, John Wall in his prime was probably a top five point guard in the entire league. He was insane. And I'm looking at some of their numbers on Tankathon in the draft comparison, uh, the compare prospects menu. A lot of them are pretty similar. Free throw percentage, pretty similar. True shooting is very similar, less than uh, a 12% or yeah, 12% difference in there. So, and they're both obviously more of these tough nose, like get to the rim kind of point guards. So what do you think about that? I definitely say in that, uh, in that matchup versus Victor, I could definitely see it. But last night we didn't really see Scoot be as crafty. So it's one of those things. I feel like I just need to see a larger sample size, but I don't think it's a, it's a horrible comparison just because John Wall, when he was when he was at Kentucky and when he was kind of coming into the league, one of the things he was known for, for was his athleticism and how he could kind of do that and be shifty, crafty, and just a little bit unpredictable. So I think I feel like I need to see a bit of a bigger sample size, to be honest. But it's not something I'd shrug off. 
One dangerous stat right now, though, Scoot on the season shooting 17% from three-point range. I don't think that's representative of his actual talent, but it is early in the year. But 17% is is not a great number. How how many threes has he shot? I am curious about that. Uh, it, t- it says he shoots around one to two a game, so it's not a huge number. But, you know, 17% is is not great. I'm hoping that that's a number that we'll probably see go up as the as the season goes on. And another thing, too, that I think is good about this G League Ignite team is they are now playing a lot more games this season, and they're going to be in playoff contention. Mm-hmm. They're playing a full G League slate, so there's going to be a much bigger sample size to go off of. I know last year with guys like Jaden Hardy and the year before with Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, it was like, it feels like we just don't have enough. and Yeah, it was hard to gauge what the team was actually meant to do because obviously they both both last year and two years ago featured the draft prospects, but it never really felt like they were competing for anything more than just showing off what they were good at. But this year, I'm glad we're finally kind of getting that com- the competitive aspect that college basketball really survives off of. Yeah. The one thing I am concerned about, though, is just this is just me being – a fan who worries too much, but <laughs> with this larger sample size, there's also more chance for injuries. And with a guy like Scoot, I think it's no secret that guys who rely on a lot on athleticism and kind of their explosiveness when they get injured, it's it's just it can be scary at times. And so Scoot, I'm just praying that you stay healthy. That's all I want to say. I'm not saying that he's gonna get hurt or like drop his stock but just well wishes and to my knowledge i don't think he has any prior injury history not that i know of at least which is which is great i don't want i don't want to see Derek rose yeah and like another thing too i talked about it earlier a lot of these prospects like Derek whitehead nick smith now who has a knee injury like we are going to miss a lot of prospects these first few weeks and i don't want to see a lot of these guys stocks fall just because they're not able to play this season Fair enough. Uh, I did have another thing I wanted to talk about with you guys, Uh, and it it could be something pretty short because we've seen plenty of guys like this. But Scoot Henderson is listed at six foot two, correct? Uh, He might be taller than that, but listed at six two. Do you think the height's really a concern, or is this athleticism just kind of so I I don't know overwhelming that it doesn't really matter when you have athleticism it quite frankly just doesn't matter I mean think of Jaw yeah uh, he's what six three Jaw Derek Derek Rose I believe was shorter like he might be listed at six three but I'm pretty sure he's shorter Donovan Mitchell on a lot of outlets is seen at six one or six two that's another good point but he has really long arms and that's something that also that Scoot kind of resembles I'm not sure his official wingspan but he's really strong upper body and lower body. He has, it seems like he has pretty long arms. I'm not sure the official wingspan, but it definitely is something to keep note of. As long as he has that twitchiness and that explosiveness, I think his height isn't going to matter. Maybe when he gets later into his career, when he kind of loses that a little bit. But for now, I think he's, he's dangerous. I mean, there's been guys like Kemba Walker, exactly. uh, Isaiah Thomas, not, well, I guess both Isaiah Thomas, but really more of the Detroit Pistons one was like, I think six foot tall, uh, if that, so... There's definitely 
precedent for good and, short point guards. And looking at him, like, even if he doesn't turn out to be a superstar, I think he'll find ways to be just, like, a super, super solid role player in wherever he is. Uh, and, like, let's say he becomes a superstar and maybe he loses some of that athleticism later in his career. Uh, I think you can think back to players like... I, I feel like Kemba Walker's found ways to just become... the to be helpful to teams in different ways over their careers, and I think he'd definitely be able to do that. And obviously, by the way he plays... Uh, he would I'd easily be able to find ways to contribute in other fashions after that fact, I guess. I mean, this is talking way down <laughs> the line. Like, I mean, but. we saw it last night. He had 16 assists. And exactly. He probably could have had more. It was just some of the shots were getting missed. So imagine if, if they had a good shooting night and he had like 18 or 19 assists with those 19 points. That would have been real crazy. All right, any uh, final words on Scoot Henderson here before we wrap him up? Brandon, I know you had you wanted to talk about maybe like a team that you would like to see him go to. I wanted to hear that. Oh, sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, hold on. Oh, yeah, I was saying earlier, I feel like a team right now that really needs Scoot is the Rockets because you look especially at their point guard spot. They have Kevin Porter Jr., but in my eyes, he's just not really a point guard. Like, he's naturally a two or a three, and... I think he can still be in the starting rotation, but if they add Scoot Henderson alongside like Jalen Green, that's a dangerous duo. And I'm really hoping that he ends up on the Rockets just because I think that's going to be must-see TV. And I think they're an already loaded young team. And going forward, I think that would really put them over the edge of finally having somebody who they can have as their go-to facilitator and who can get some buckets of his own. And think about that roster. You would have two G League Ignites guys in Scoot Henderson and Jalen Green, potentially the best two G League Ignite players of all time so far. Plus, you would have KPJ and Jabari Smith. That is a crazy young roster. We talk about the Thunder being one of the youngest in the team. I think the Rockets would probably overtake them at that point. And then you maybe have Alperen Shangun at the five, that that's a pretty solid roster yeah. going forward. And not to mention Tari Eason off the bench, who he's shown some promise as well. Mm -hmm. So I think I, these young teams, it's hard because, like, you see the names and you get excited. But as we talked about on last episodes, it's like so many of, the t of these teams now are starting to have good young players. It's just hard to gauge how good they're going to be in a few years. But I think that wraps it up here on the Scoot Henderson prospect breakdown. Really good player. And uh, we're excited to see where he goes in the future and what he's able to do in his career. 100%. Let's load up that trivia, Brody. Are we ready? Are we ready? Uh, this week's trivia is going to be a little bit interesting. Uh, again, three questions for you guys. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think there's some uh, quite odd questions. I think you guys either will get. You guys will either get it or you won't get it. And I guess that makes sense for any trivia question, but uh, enough rambling. Let, let, let's just get right into it. Uh, the first question for you guys, uh, what pick was Wilt Chamberlain when he was selected in 1959? Wow. So this is a long time ago in the draft, and I think we've talked about it in other trivias with uh, the draft getting many, many uh, renovations since this date, but... I'm going to disrespect Wilt Chamberlain and say he was the number two pick. Ooh. I want to say number one just because it seems like that'd be obvious. But I feel like Wilt, he was kind of a different breed for his time, and they hadn't seen many other people like him. So kind I feel of like, like Victor almost? Yeah, but like I don't think it really helped him in the 
it might not have right. helped him in the positive way. They might have like mm. dropped him down a bit. But I'm telling I mean, you, how could he not be the number one pick? Yeah, I mean, I don't know for sure, but but like like I, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So it's like I'm just gonna say number one. Why not? Let's go for it. All right. So I figured you guys wouldn't get this regardless because this has to do with some old NBA draft history. But he was actually a territorial pick by the Philadelphia Warriors. <laughs> I had no clue what this was when I looked it up, but I was like, hmm, I wonder what Wilt Chamberlain was picked at. Well, it turns out he's a territorial pick. Uh, and for those who don't know about it, uh, from my understanding, uh, back back in the day in the NBA, they basically had it so uh, certain players or certain teams could basically pick a player that's from the area of their city uh, that like that like originated from there that they knew would like garner fans to go to their stadium or go watch them play and so uh, Wilt Chamberlain was actually from Philadelphia and he got drafted to Philadelphia because they got this territorial pick which basically just got them a freebie to steal the first rounder that's crazy or the first overall pick imagine if that, that was how it was be. in real life now like you just drafted how many players here? would go to a different team yeah, no, I, I figured this out. I, I looked it up, and, man, there was just some crazy stuff to learn about. So the more you know. Man, Cleveland would be crazy because they would have just they would have that. Steph, LeBron, like that. CJ McCollum. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I don't know how often they get the territorial picks. You'll have to, you'll have to look it up for yourselves, uh, uh, those of our viewers. But uh, moving on, with the last pick in the 1983 draft, the 76ers selected uh, Norman Horvitz from where? Was it A, Harvard Medical School, B, Philadelphia School of Pharmacy, or C, Johns Hopkins University? Intellectual. Uh, I'm going to go with B. Okay. I'm going to go with Johns Hopkins. Okay. Well, here's some more interesting, had no clue this ever happened, uh, information. It is B. Oh, my God. Let's go. He was drafted. Uh, he went to the Philadelphia School of Pharmacy. This guy didn't even play basketball. He was 49 years old. Oh, my God. He's a 49-year-old uh, pharmacist who, uh, based on what I saw, basically the 76ers owner, it was his poker buddy, and he drafted him as a joke, and the <laughs> NBA voided his draft pick because wow. they were like, "Like, what the heck, man? That's crazy. <laughs> you can't just you can't just pick a random guy." But hey, he did it. And uh, uh, there is a quote that came from uh, the guy who got drafted. Uh, but basically, yeah, the NBA voided the pick because uh, because he said because the NBA abhors fun, <laughs> uh, and no matter he was forty nine. And he said he figured he'd take his talents to Italy because you can get Gucci's there for half price. <laughs> Bro. That's a that's He told the the Times that? The Times, yes. Wow. That's hey, like a, very, all, I'm, all I'm hearing from that answer is I'm up one on you, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much. They really missed out on a guy on a pharmacist, man. Almost in his in his fifties, his prime, man. Bro, he could have got us so many rings. Bros in his primes. Maybe that's maybe that's why the seventy sixers have struggled, you know? They're <laughs> Picking Norman Horvitz. Veteran leadership. They're veteran leadership. Yep, there it is. Can you imagine if you could pick coaches like that? You know, <laughs> just use your last pick to draft pick a coach, and you get a different coach every year or something like that. <laughs> All right, moving on. 
Uh, you guys might get this pretty quickly, but who is the school with the most first overall picks? Ooh, I don't know if I ever asked this. One. I'm going to guess. Ooh. Uh, I want to say it's definitely one of the blue buds, mm -hmm. obviously. I'm going to say Kentucky. Okay. Okay. I was de deciding between Kentucky and Duke, so I'm going to take Duke. But okay. maybe we're both wrong. The answer, North Carolina. the answer is actually Duke. Let's go. The answer is Duke. I know. Mm. Oh, no, he's gone. He's gone. He left the building. Yeah. <laughs> I'm him. He's out. But, uh, yes, uh, Duke had the most first overall picks. Because you think back, you think back, I mean, you think pretty quickly, and you're like, wow, they actually had quite a lot. Uh, they recently had Zion. Yeah, Paulo. Paulo. Uh, I think back a little bit farther, I don't. I can't quite think of another one that came. Kyrie Irving, I know. Oh, yeah. Kyrie. That yep. three should have just been a giveaway. Yep. There's three there alone. In the last, and like, the total for that, minutes. they've had five first overall picks. I think they took the lead at, uh, I think they took the lead after uh, Paulo. Uh, it was back in 2016, they uh, both, Kentucky and Duke, were tied in 2016. Yeah, so you, you had it for a minute, but. <sighs> Thank you, Paulo. I appreciate you. <laughs> yep. Duke had five first overall picks, and that's going to do it. Jake snatched the dub here, but uh, I know Brandon, Brandon is hungry for I, a win here. Let's go. I can't call myself an NBA historian anymore. I'm I'm heartbroken, but we'll bounce back. I'll train my, my mind for these next few podcasts, and I'll take the lead. Well, Brandon, luckily for you, I do not consider myself an NBA historian, so... <laughs> You've got that comeback coming, but thank you all for tuning in to League Bound yet again this week. So excited to keep bringing you all this content. Make sure you follow us on social media. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jacob Schrantz. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brandon.Blue with two E's. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brody Wilkin and at, on Instagram at Broderick Wilkin. Uh, don't forget, you can also uh, listen to the podcast on Spotify just called League Bound. And you can find us on YouTube under League Bound. We are so excited to keep this going for you guys. We're excited with the growth. We hope you stay watching. Thank you guys for tuning in today. We appreciate you. We love you. Have a good one. Yeah, make sure you subscribe, leave a like, and uh, guys, let's go get some Culver's. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for that. Good old Midwestern fast food. Unpaid promo. Culver's, if you want to sponsor us, feel free. We appreciate that. The official podcast of Colby. <laughs>